This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. Uh, Luke chapter 24, we're going to start in verse number one uh, this morning. Now upon the first day of the week, they came very early in the morning. They came into the sepulcher bringing the spices which they had prepared and certain others with them. They found the stone rolled away from the sepulcher and they entered in and found not the body of the Lord Jesus. It came to pass, they were much perplexed thereabout. Behold, two men stood by them in shining garments And as they were afraid, they bowed down their faces to the earth, and they said unto them, Why seek ye the living among the dead? Verse 6 is an awesome verse. He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spake unto you when he was yet in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, and be crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words, and returned from the sepulcher, and told all these things unto the eleven, and to all the rest. It was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women that were with them, which told these things unto the apostles. And their words seemed like to them as idle tales, and they believed them not. I remember as a kid, our family took a family vacation to Gatlinburg, Tennessee. If you've ever gone to Gatlinburg and Pigeon Forge, it's a blast. Like for kids, for adults, everybody, it's just neat. You know, it's in the Smoky Mountains, and so it's a beautiful area to be in. And on top of that, they got a, like go-kart tracks and museums and fun stuff and bungee jumps and stuff like that. But as a kid, I remember being enamored by the Ripley's Believe It or Not Museum. Like, if you've never gone there, like, it's like, it's a, it's a must-do. They have one in L.A., a couple other places in the United States. But you go in there, and you take a look at the largest, the man's largest hand, and you get to put your hand in there. And the man's tallest man to ever live, you get to stand beside him and see how tall he really was. And uh, it takes you to see, like, the, the two-headed goat that was there that they had stuffed and taxidermied and uh, things along those lines. And just all these really odd things uh, that you could see. And then you grow up and you kind of grow out of stuff like that. And then uh, the Lord decided to give us social media. So we're going to play that game every day. Is this true or is this false, right? Now, let me just tell you the majority of the things you see on social media just aren't true. Uh, there are things that have been concocted and massaged in such a way to make you believe something that, that really isn't true. Uh, there's whole apps that are downloaded to, that you can download to your phone to make your face smaller, uh, to make your biceps bigger. Uh, you can airbrush yourself a set of abs on like anybody actually needs that, right? Uh, and so, uh, you know, to make yourself appear better on the internet than what you actually are. And, and again, some of these go so far as to the fact that you almost look like a cartoon. You don't even look like yourself, right? But so many times we see things nowadays and we have to figure out, hey, what's true and what's false here? Even when it comes to news, uh, news itself, we have to almost read with a filter or, or listen to with a filter to figure out, hey, is this telling the whole story or is this just part of it? Um, my wife and I were talking with our son Van the other night. He's 21. And so we were watching a television show, and they played the theme song to the show Dallas. Does anybody remember the show Dallas? Like, uh, and so, like, early 80s, uh, like, you know, television drama uh, that came on. And so I was like, oh, man, I haven't heard the theme song of Dallas in ages. 
And my son's like, what's that? I was like, man, it's just dramas on at night and stuff like that. And uh, my wife says, was that on ABC, CBS, or NBC? And I was just like, oh, I can't remember. And he was like, what do you mean? I said, well, there are only three channels. He was like, what if you didn't like those three channels? You didn't watch TV, you know? It's like, that was it. You get three channels. And I said, here's the worst part. Like, if, if Dallas came on on Tuesday nights at 7 o'clock and Knight Rider came on on Tuesday nights at 7 o'clock, I didn't get to watch Knight Rider because my parents were watching Dallas. And he was just like, well, how did you get caught up? You didn't. <laughs> like, you went to school the next day and you're like, bro, what happened on Knight Rider? My parents were watching Dallas. I couldn't watch it. And your friends had to tell you what happened. And he was just like, that's crazy. Yeah, it was totally crazy back then. You just couldn't... <laughs> Totally crazy. Uh, and so he, but the concept blew his mind. But back in that day, again, back in my day, I've officially become that guy, right? Back in my day, the news was just the news. Hey, here's what happened. Now we have to say like, oh, what's the angle of that news story? Why is that so prominent? Why do they keep running this same story over and over and over again? You know, why are they putting so much emphasis on things like what's taking place in the Ukraine and there's a, a city in Ohio that doesn't have clean drinking water because of a train derailment and we haven't heard about that in weeks. What's really going on here? And then it's just like, ooh, it's a government conspiracy, you know? Uh, there's the deep state that's trying to keep these things down and then we begin to like go in all these crazy directions and like, hey, I'm, I'm all good for a good conspiracy theory, right? Man, the, the Lee Harvey Oswald acted independently. Come on, you know? Uh, about all for a good conspiracy theory, but then when we live like that, it begins like, hey, nothing's real. How do we separate truth from reality? Because here's the fact, no matter what you believe or who you believe determines the trajectory of the rest of your life. What you believe is really, really super duper important. Uh, I remember as, as a kid, uh, I grew up in western Kentucky, a small town of about 4,000 people, redneck town, like redneck as redneck gets. Uh, and so, uh, but that's the type of town that I grew up in, and there was a strong sense of patriotism there. Uh, you, you know, we said pledge of allegiance to the flag every single day, and no, none of the kids in my class sat down. Uh, they played the Star Spangled Banner uh, at the football game. Everybody stood up, they put their hand over their heart, and you see like older dudes like crying uh, as somebody sings the Star Spangled Banner. That's just how it was. Uh, dudes had pickup trucks, they had American flags rolling off the back of them. Man, we loved America. Uh, for me, I grew up in a small town that I wanted to get out of really quickly. And so for me, I made a decision. I love my country and I want to serve my country and I got to get out of this redneck town. And so I joined the Navy right out of high school. Uh, because of a strong belief that I want to serve my country and I also want to get away from here. And no lie, that shaped the rest of my life. That, that one belief that I had as a 17-year-old kid, no lie, shaped the rest of my life because I got stationed in Pensacola, Florida. I met my wife. We got married. Next day, duty station, the last final duty station was here in Honolulu, Hawaii. No lie, this church wouldn't be here if that 17-year-old kid hadn't gone to the recruiter's office and heard a pack of lies and signed the papers anyways. <laughs> right? I'm just saying. Because who or what you believe sets the trajectory for the rest of your life. So what you believe is super important. It really is. Because at the end of the day, your belief determines your behavior. I know people who refuse to, to eat sugar because sugar causes cancer. Um, like refuse to do this. Science says this, science says this, and so I refuse to eat any sweets, I refuse to eat any sugar because sugar causes cancer. That belief that they have has shaped their behavior. Now, I believe that sugar could probably cause cancer, and there's actually scientific evidence that if you have cancer that it speeds up the process for sure, but I'll, I'll tell you this, I love chocolate chip cookies. 
And so I don't know that that uh, belief could necessarily shape my behavior in that way because my belief that chocolate chip cookies are good overrides my belief that they might cause cancer. Are you with me? Uh, I, I, I don't, when I, when I uh, make coffee or make tea or something like that, I always use fake sweeteners. Uh, I'll, I'll use, uh, I, use, I typically like stevia. Uh, it's supposedly all natural, uh, but I buy, buy like the five pound bag from Amazon. And so like, if, that, if we find out that causes you cancer, dig a really big hole, just push me in it and get it over with because I'm done. Uh, I, I, sometimes I go to a restaurant, I use sweet and low, and my wife is like, that stuff causes cancer. I know, but it tastes so good. The pink stuff, right? Um, and so, but, but again, what we believe really determines how we behave. For those of us that have children, man, these kids were absolutely adorable up here. Uh, if we believe that these kids are important, if we believe that these kids need the best tools that they can have to live productive lives as adults, we're going to behave in such a way that gives them the tools they need. What that means is if you really believe that your kids are a gift from God and it's your responsibility to give them the best future possible, having them in church is the best decision you can make. Like, like, if I had to choose between putting my kids in a, a private school that would give them a good education and putting my kids in church, like an either or, putting my kids in church, absolute no-brainer for sure. Because the Bible says train up your kids in the way that they should go. When they're old, they won't depart from it. So that belief that I have determines my behavior. And so it's really important the things that we believe. And so when we're presented with information, we have to make a determination, is this true or is this false? And so uh, we have to, to accept it as true, reject it as false, totally up to you. And so you and I have to, on a day-to-day basis, multiple times a day, we're presented with information and we have to make a judgment call. Is this right? Is this wrong? I don't know if you've ever had the luxury of having a vehicle that's gas gauge doesn't work. And it's always showing full. Uh, and what do you do if, if it's always showing full? Anybody remember? Hit the trip odometer. You know how many miles you get out of it, right? I could run to about 140 miles before I'll run out of gas, you know? And so I can look at that gas gauge. It says that it's full, but I know, I know that's not true. Now, other things in life have higher consequences. For example, I'm going to let my kids do what they want. I'm going to be their buddy. I'm going to be their friend. Uh, I'm going to make them happy. Uh, I don't want to ever see my kids cry or ever see them hurt. And I I cried and I hurt and I did without. And so I never want my kids to do without. And so I'm going to give them everything that they need because I believe that's true. You could be very, very wrong, and you're going to raise a totally spoiled brat as a result of that. So again, sometimes making that judgment call between right and wrong, the stakes are a little bit higher. And let me just tell you, those of you that, that have children, you have the opportunity to set your children up for success or failure in life based on what you do in that period of time where you, you're given oversight over them. It's a big deal. Single adults. You guys are typically in a window where you haven't married the wrong person and totally screwed up your life yet. And so you have the opportunity, the decisions that you make in this time period of where you are right now, you can make decisions that will set you up for success in the future or set yourself up for failure in the future based on, get this, how you process information. Is this true? Is this false? And you'd be like, Oh, man, I wish there was like a secret decoder ring that would show you for real if something was right or if it was wrong. I got something way better than than a secret decoder ring. It's called the Bible. 
the Word of God will always show you what's true, what's false, what's right, what's wrong, what's good, what's bad. In every situation, you go, come on, every situation, every situation, because it is the Word of God. Now, in this story this morning that we saw, the resurrection story, one of the greatest stories that's ever been possibly told, the angels have a story that they tell. And there's three parts to the story. And different people throughout this story that actually really happened, this account, historical account, the way that people process this information, they process it differently, but that determines the outcome of actually what happened. So when we take a look at verse number seven here this morning in your passage, Luke chapter 24, verse number seven, here's the story that the angels have. The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. So three parts here. First of all, first part of the story, Jesus was delivered to sinful men. First part. We find when the apostles were at the Passover meal, we sometimes refer to this as the Last Supper. Nobody knew that it was the Last Supper because Jesus told them at the Passover meal, hey guys, uh, I'm getting ready to be arrested and I'm gonna be crucified. And so it wasn't like the apostles were like, hey man, did you get the stuff that we need for the Last Supper? And they'll be like, the last what? And it's just like, no, no. it wasn't like that, the Passover meal. It was, a, it was a Jewish holiday celebration that they were having. And Jesus told them, hey, one of you is gonna betray me, and as a result, I'm gonna die. And everybody starts like scratching their heads and starts looking around the table like, well, is it me? Is it me? And Jesus says, hey, whoever dips their bread in the, the bowl of me at the same time is the person who betrayed me. Now, I don't know about you, but like, I'd be like, put my bread away at that point. Like, I'm not even, <laughs> I'm done, you know? And what happened? It was Judas. And Judas gets up and he leaves. And Jesus goes out and guess what? He's arrested. As he's arrested, Peter tries to fight and Jesus tells him, hey, stop. The scripture's already said, I'm going to be delivered in the hands of sinful men, and sinful men are here to deliver me. Simple as that. Done. And so we see that process take place in Jesus' arrest, which ultimately led to Jesus' crucifixion, second part of the angel's story. Jesus was crucified. And so Jesus was taken before a, uh, a mock trial. It was a, it, was a, it was a joke where he was alleged to have committed blasphemy. And Pilate says, ah, it doesn't matter to me. I'm not going to crucify the guy over blasphemy. It's not a big deal. You guys do what you want with him. They're like, oh, no, no, you guys do it. Pilate's like, okay, look, it's customary that it's your feast time here that we release one prisoner in exchange for another. So you can either release Jesus or you can release Barabbas, who was a murderer. Take your pick. And they're like, man, give us Barabbas. Take Jesus. And so Pilate's like, okay. And so Pilate wa literally washed his hands and says, hey, I'm, I'm clean of this, guy, this man's blood. And he, Jesus then was beaten, and then he was crucified. But that wasn't the end of the story. Jesus died. We took a look on Good Friday, uh, how Jesus was cried. He said, died. He said, it is finished. He gave up the ghost, laid down his life, and he was put in a borrowed tomb. Then, good news, third part of the angel's story, Jesus rose again the third day. So Jesus was crucified on Friday. We call that Good Friday. I was talking with some of our super church kids. I was like, do you know what day it is that we call that, that Jesus was crucified? And it's like, ooh, ooh, ooh. It's like, what? He's like, Black Friday. It's just like, <laughs> no. That's the Friday your mama loves. Uh, but not Black Friday. It was Good Friday. Sa Saturday, he stayed in the tomb. 
Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday, first day of the week, Jesus Christ rose again victorious over sin, death, and the grave, rolled away the stone of his own power, and walked out of the tomb. That's the story that the angels had. Now, this story has been told for 2,000 plus years. Different people process this historical account differently. And how you process this information will determine where, get this, stay with me for just a second, how you process this story right here will determine where your life winds up and what happens to you after this life. That's how important this story is. It's a really, really big deal. And so as we take a look at the story, first of all, we need to understand, what does this story mean? What's the meaning of this story? First of all, Jesus was delivered into the hands of sinful men. This was proof that he was the Messiah, the prophesied one. All throughout the Old Testament, there's, there's coming prophecies, telling of the future of one who will come to set the people free one who will come that will sit upon the throne of David and his, his kingdom will know no end. One who will rule over everyone. And so when they say, hey, the Messiah is here, everybody's just like, yes, finally. We're out of Roman oppression. We're no longer under Roman authority. He's going to overthrow the Roman government. He's going to overthrow the religious system. He's going to establish the rule of the kingdom of Israel again. We've got us a political leader, gang. That's what they thought was going to happen. And then Jesus comes into Jerusalem the week of the Passover feast. Mind you, a week before he's crucified, we sometimes refer to as Palm Sunday. He comes in and everybody's just like, yes, Hosanna in the highest. Salvation is here. Yes, he's coming. He's going to overthrow the Romans. We're no longer going to be under this oppression. And the same people on Sunday that we're saying, Hosanna, salvation has come finally. We have a king who will lead us out of Roman oppression. We're the same people that just five days later were saying, we'll take Barabbas, crucified Jesus. And so this prophecy had to come, be fulfilled. Keep your finger here in Luke chapter 24. We're coming back in just a sec. But turn if you would to Psalm 22. The book of Psalms is a fascinating book of the Bible. If you've never had the opportunity to read through it, you should. It was a, it's a book of poetry. It was used as worship songs for early believers. If, you, if you're having a good day, you can find yourself in the book of Psalms. If you're having the worst day of your life, you can find uh, a lot of, of a truth that will help you, and you'll find yourself in the, the book of Psalms. If you're having trouble, trouble just getting strength for every day, you'll find yourself in the book of Psalms every single time. <laughs> psalm 22 is a unique psalm, though. We sometimes refer to Psalm 22 as the messianic psalm because it tells us of the coming Messiah. This is a psalm that's not just like, hey, here's the kind of day that I'm having written by David. It's like, hey, let me tell you about the Savior who's coming. Psalm 22, verse number one says, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Out there so far from helping me in the words of my roaring. Now, if this sounds familiar to you, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? This is precisely what Jesus said as he hung on the cross. There's seven different things that Jesus said. We sometimes refer to, to him as the seven sayings of the cross. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me is one of the seven sayings of the cross. And so as Jesus cried that as he hung on the cross, it was a call back to a prophecy that had already been made about him. 
Verse number two, O my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not, and in the night season, and I'm not silent. But thou art holy, O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in thee, they trusted, and thou didst deliver them. They cried unto thee and were delivered. They trusted in thee and were not confounded. But I am a worm and no man and reproach of men and despised of people. All they that see me laugh me to scorn and then shoot out the lip that they shake their heads saying he trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him seeing he delighted in him. And again, if you understand the crucifixion account as Jesus hung on the cross, he's like, oh, why don't you call out for your God to save you now? You said that, that he would save, call out to him. Where is your God now? And it's a call back again to the prophecy that would take place. But thou, verse number nine, but thou art he that took me out of the womb and thou didst make me hope when I was upon my mother's breast. So I was cast upon thee from the womb. Thou art my God from my mother's belly. Be not far from me, for trouble is near. There's none to help. Many bulls of compass, strong bulls of Bashan hath beset me round. They gaped upon me with their mouth as a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue cleaveth to my jaws, and thou hast brought me into the dust of death. Verse number 15 speaks of the deep thirst that is in this person. That their, their tongue is so dry that it's stuck to the side of their jaw, which again is a prophecy of Christ when he hung upon the cross and one of his seven sayings was, I thirst. Verse number 16, for dogs have compassed me, the assembly of the wicked have enclosed me, they pierced my hands and my feet. I may tell all my bones and they stare upon me. They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. But be now not from me, O Lord, that O strength hasty to help me. Verse number 18, again, is a prophecy of the fact that Jesus' clothing would be divided. But they wanted to rip it to take a souvenir with him. But they said, oh, no, no, this is actually a really good jacket. Let's cast lots for this. Let's gamble for this and see who can take it. And that was a fulfillment of the Psalm 22 prophecy here. So again, we see time and time and time and time again, we haven't even looked at Isaiah's prophecies, which we won't today, but Isaiah 53 speaks in detail of the way that the crucifixion and Jesus' imprisonment would take place for the purpose that it fulfilled. We haven't even taken a look at Isaiah's prophecies or or, uh, other prophecies that we find throughout the Old Testament that speaks of the coming Messiah that point directly to the person of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus had to be delivered into the hands of sinful men because it had to be fulfilled in the prophecy. Turn back to Luke chapter 24, if you would. The second thing that the angel tells us is that Jesus was crucified. His blood was required as payment for our sins. Here's the whole story of the gospel in a nutshell. You and I have broken God's law. God gave us commandments, not 10. He gave us thousands of commandments. We've broken probably almost all of them. And if you haven't broken them all, you just need to live a little bit longer and you'll break all of them. But we've broken God's law, and that presents a problem because God has to punish those who break his law, which is everybody. I've broken God's law, you've broken God's law. That puts us in danger of God's punishment. Well, what's the punishment? Is it bad? It's as bad as it could possibly be. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. Because you and I have sinned against God, we're going to die, and not just die a physical death, but we're going to die spiritually after this life is over. The Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die after that, the judgment. 
Every single person, the moment you take your last breath, you'll stand before a holy God in judgment. And God has already given you the criteria that he will judge you by. And if you slip in one point of it, you're done. You're guilty. What's the punishment? The punishment is separation from God in a place called hell. Two places, heaven and hell. Hell is what I deserve because I broke God's law. Hell is what you deserve because you broke God's law. And so, here's what the Bible says. If you sin, somebody has to die. Go all the way back to the book of Genesis where Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden. They realized that they were naked. They tried to cover up their sin. They made themselves aprons of fig leaves. The problem with fig leaves is they're going to die in a couple of days and that covering's no good any longer. So the Bible says that God made them coats of skin from an animal. He killed an animal so that Adam and Eve could cover their own sin. That was a picture of going forward from the Garden of Eden on. If you sin, somebody has to die. And the Bible says your blood is required as payment for your own sin. Unless an appropriate replacement or substitute can be found. Now, this is the only way that you and I can get out of paying for our sins by going to hell. Mind you, this is the only way that you and I can avoid hell and go to heaven. There must be an appropriate substitute. I cannot pay for your sins. I've broken God's law. I, I owe God for my own sin. You can't pay for my sins. There's not a church in the world that can pay for your sins. There's not anyone that can forgive your sins. Somebody has to die. And so God, in his ridiculous love for you and me, said this. I'm willing to give my son as an appropriate substitute, and he will die for your sins. That's why he had to be crucified. Because again, somebody has to die. The book of Hebrews chapter 9 tells us in Hebrews 9 uh, verse number 20, saying this, the blood of the testament which God hath enjoined to you. Uh, God says, this is the blood of the covenant, the agreement that, you, that God has made with you. Moreover, sprinkle with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of ministry, get this, and almost all things by the law are purged with blood, and without shedding of blood is no remission. Somebody has to die, and they have to bleed when they die. In the Old Testament, we was, this would be the cutting of an animal. You'd slit an animal's throat and blood would be poured out over the altar in the, the temple. And God says, that's good, I'll take that blood. And sin was covered by blood. And so Jesus, get this, this is a crazy thought, but you need to think it. Jesus had to die a bloody death because his blood had to be shed. Had Jesus died of a heart attack, old age, cancer, if Jesus had a stroke, none of those things would have been sufficient to pay for our sins. If Jesus had died by as an execution, lethal injection, it would not have paid for our sins because blood had to be shed. So God says, my son will suffer death in the worst way possible. He'll be placed upon a tree and hung there to die. And to the Jews, this was inconceivable. Because the book of Leviticus said this, cursed is every man that hangs upon a tree. Like if you're hanging on a tree as a way to die, that's just a picture that you have been cursed by God. God has completely like, uh-uh, totally done with you. 
And so for Jesus to be crucified was incredulous. Like, oh, I can't believe that he would suffer that way. That's the most filthy, terrible, awful way to die. And his blood was shed. And his blood was poured out at that crucifixion. And he said, it is finished. And God the Father said, I received that sacrifice. That's good. And the Father's wrath, his punishment, was set to the side because of the blood of Jesus was available. And so when the angel says he was received of, of sinful men and he was crucified, that, that fact was critical to the fulfillment of not only the prophecies, but also the ability to be able to forgive our sins. Friend, our biggest problem that we have is not inflation. It's not, uh, you know, the economy or it's jobs or lack of workers and, and employees. Our biggest problem that we have and has always been is sin. And the only antidote, the only fix for that is the blood of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus had to be crucified to pay for our sins. That's why the songs that we sang this morning, man, they got me nine kinds of fired up. That last song we sang, Christ is mine forevermore, the very first verse of that ends with this thought. And Christ has paid for every failing, and I am his forevermore. How did he pay for that? His death upon the cross. His shed blood paid for your sin and mine. Every sin that you will ever commit, past, present, future, it's all covered by the blood of Jesus Christ if and only if you're willing to receive Jesus as your Savior. And so that part of the story, really important. Colossians chapter 1, verse number 14, in whom we have redemption through blood, even the forgiveness of sins. The forgiveness of sin comes through the blood of Christ, Romans 5, 9, much more than being now justified. That word justified means declared innocent. We're no longer guilty. We're declared innocent. How? By his blood, and we shall be saved from wrath in him. If you're willing to receive Jesus as your Savior, you're willing to allow that blood to be placed on your account, you not only get to be declared innocent, God also puts his punishment away that you'll never see God's punishment, not now or ever in eternity. Because Jesus' blood has already covered that. Third thing that the angel says is that Jesus rose again the third day. He conquered death and gives power to us to live a new life in him and eternal life through him. You see, death has always been a major fear of man, hasn't it? Regardless of what man can accomplish in a lifetime, no one has ever cheated death. Human life, 100% mortality rate. Every single person in this room, I can say with 100% certainty that you will one day die. And after that, the judgment, the Bible says. But there was one person who died and people were sad, but then they rose again of their own power. One person and one person only, and that was Jesus Christ. And so Jesus rose again, proving that death doesn't really have the power it used to any longer. Your sin was not only defeated on the cross, your death was defeated in the empty tomb. And for those of us that have Jesus Christ as our Savior and have a promise of heaven, death is not the end for us. Death is really the beginning. The Bible says in the book of James, what is your life? It's but a vapor. 
my, my kids get so excited when we go to the mainland and it's cold. They're like, oh, I can see my breath. You know, it's like, okay, uh, cute. Uh, but uh, that vapor that shows up for a moment and then goes away, the Bible says that's your life. Man, just like that, it's over. But eternity, that lasts forever and it has no end. And so when you and I die on this earth, and it's going to happen, somebody's going to dig a hole, they're going to put us in it, they're going to cover it up with dirt, and they're going to go home and eat fried chicken and, and tell stories and look through photos, and then they're going to go on with their life. But here's the thing. When I die, my body's not there. I'm gone. I'm with Jesus. And I'm not dead. I'm living in eternity. And all those that know Jesus Christ as Savior one day will live forever in eternity. Now, if you're here without Jesus Christ as your Savior, understand you're going to die in eternity forever in a place called hell. Those are the two options. Simple as that. And again, your belief determines not only your behavior, but your eternal destination. And so Jesus rose again the third day to give you and I a new life, and your new life doesn't have to begin when you get to heaven. Your new life can begin now. By putting your faith and trust in Jesus and saying, I'm going to follow Jesus in my life, you're going to find the best life that you've ever had before following Jesus, guaranteed. And then, when my time on this earth is done, man, I'm going to be praising Jesus in heaven for all of eternity. And so, again, the empty tomb for us Man, that's life. The empty tomb for us means we no longer fear death. Now, please understand, I'm not trying to die. I'm not like walking through crosswalks on the red hand. I'm not driving erratically without a seatbelt. I'm not trying to die. But let me just tell you this. I don't fear death. It's coming, and I know it's coming, and I'm ready for it. And, and again, I hope everybody in this room lives to be 120 and, and you, you die peacefully in your sleep. But the fact of the matter is, we don't know when it's coming for us. Are you ready for that? Do you know for sure your sins are forgiven and heaven is your home? So we've been presented with three facts. Jesus was delivered to sinful men. He was crucified. And the third day he rose again. Now again, most people would agree with those first two facts. It's the third one that causes people so much grief. As we look through our account here in the book of Luke chapter 24, Nobody had a problem with the first two facts there. It was the third one that caused them a little bit of consternation, if you will. And really, as we look at those, these people, we put them in three different categories. First of all, we see verse number 11. Take a look at that. Verse number 10. It was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women that were with them, which told these things unto the apostles. These are the 11 guys that walked, talked, eat, sleep, breathed with Jesus for three years, Right? Hey, Jesus is risen, the angel told us. Verse number 11, and their words seemed to them as idle tales, and they believed them not. Oh, man, you're just, you're messing with us. <laughs> Whatever, get out of here. Go back to the tomb and, and anoint his body. No, 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 like, really, like, he's gone, the angel told us. The angel told you. So we see here, first category, deniers. Deniers today would say, hey, I, there might have been a historical Jesus, but he wasn't God and he didn't rise from the grave, okay? He was a good dude. He taught some good things. I was talking to a man several years ago about my faith and was talking to him about Jesus, and he said, I, I really like Jesus. And I said, really? He was a, a Hindu guy. Uh, and I said, tell me about that. And he's just like, man, he's just got so many good teachings. He was so kind. Everywhere he went, he was looking to do good for people, 
Uh, you know, he was always looking for people who were the underdog and he was on their side. And, uh, you know, he hated religious people that thought they were better than them and, uh, and things like that. I really liked his teachings. Super great guy. I said, do you believe that he was God? And he was just like, oh, absolutely not. Do you believe that he rose again the third day and is now seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven? He goes, absolutely not. Don't believe that at all. Okay. So again, he would be in the denier category. There might be somebody here today that you find yourself in the denier category. Hey, Good for other people, not good for me. Uh, I'm thankful for those of you that are here for the first time. You got an invitation from somebody who brought you to church. That's a blessing. Somebody cares about you because they say, hey, I want you to hear something that changed my life. Uh, I was talking with somebody handshaking to him. How'd you hear about our church? One of your church members sideswiped my car and then invited me to church. I'm glad it all worked out. Uh, and so <laughs> thankfully, most of us didn't have to get sideswiped to get to church, right? God got our attention in other ways. Uh, but uh, again, the idea is like you might be here today and try to figure this whole thing out. You might find yourself in the denier category. Jesus was a good dude, not the son of God, didn't rise from the grave. I'm thankful for, for Easter eggs and stuff like that, but this is just not my thing. Then you have the second category of, of people here. Again, these were people who walked and talked with Jesus. These were the doubters. This was Peter. Take a look at verse number 12. Then arose Peter and ran to the sepulcher, and stooping down, beheld the linen cloths laid by themselves and departed, wondering in himself at the things which was come to pass. Peter's like, uh-uh, I gotta go see that for myself. And so he literally got up, ran down to the tomb, and like walked inside and started like looking around. Like, hmm, all right, all right. And then it says he pondered in his, his mind the things that were come to pass. Like, uh, so Jesus is risen. Like, what does all this mean now? And so, so Peter was kind of on the fence. Even when he heard it, he didn't believe it right away. He's like, I need to check this out for myself. And doubters would say something like, I don't see how something like that could actually happen. I'd believe it if you could prove it. Peter wanted proof. He wanted to see it with his own eyeballs. And so sometimes when talking with people, especially people that are, uh, you know, more analytical thinkers or they're practical thinkers and things like that, they'll say things like, we know if God could just come down and sit down at the table with me and have a cup of coffee and we could just kind of talk through things, I think I would believe then. And I said, you wouldn't. No, no, I really believe that I would. I just got a lot of questions I need answers to. And if I could see it with my own eyes, I would believe it. Two problems with that. So you're telling me if Jesus came, if God came down from heaven and sat down and had lunch with you and answered your questions, and then like while he's walking over to the mall, he finds a blind guy and he heals that blind guy and he can see. And then after that, Jesus goes over and he's at the food court and there's a, he's out there preaching, but everybody's out of food and this kid brings his lunch up and he splits the food out in front of 5,000 people. God did that. You would actually believe it. Yeah, I would. No, you wouldn't. You know why? Because the people who saw that, you know what they said? Crucify him. Put him to death. We don't believe this for a split second. So you give yourself more credit than you actually do. You probably put him to death if you saw those things. But secondly, here's what Jesus himself said. Hey, you people that have seen me and believe, that's good. But more blessed are those who have not seen but still believe. Because God requires faith from you. Faith means this. I don't really understand how it all works, but I believe it to be so because God said it. Uh, the book of Hebrews tells us that faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things that we can't see. Like, 
look, I, I, I've been in church my entire life. From the time I was born until I was 18 years old, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, never missed a service unless somebody's dead or dying. Always in church. In my adult life, my wife and I have been in church three times a week, every single time the doors are open, like without fail. But there's still some things about the Bible I don't fully understand, and I can't explain it to you. For example, Acts chapter 1 tells us that Jesus is standing on the hillside and he tells them, hey, the Holy Spirit's going to come and when he comes, I want you to go worldwide with the, what you've seen here. And then he ascended into heaven and the uh, disciples that stood there st- stayed looking in the sky after he had gone and the angels basically said, hey, what are you guys looking in the sky for? He's already gone. Go and get to work. And so they went and got to work. <sighs> so when Jesus kept going up, is there a point like where he runs out of oxygen up there? Because oxygen gets thinner the higher that you get and like, when he breaks the earth's atmosphere, does like his clothes burn up or something? Like when he gets to like space, where does he go from there? I don't know. I, I don't have a good answer for that. I just know that he ascended and is now at the right hand of the Father. That's all I really know. Because I believe it because God's word said. I can't I can't explain it to you. I just believe it to be so because the Bible says so. The Bible says if we're here when Christ returns to receive his bride, that we'll be caught up with him in the air. We sometimes refer to this as the rapture. When the rapture takes place, all those that are saved on planet Earth will meet Jesus Christ in the air. I'm terrified of heights, and I don't know what that's going to look like, but I can imagine, like, terror in my, in my life, right? Terror, sheer terror. Will I be terrified to meet the Lord in the air? I don't think so. And again, same thing, what happens to our, like, our clothes burn up at the atmosphere? What happens to our body? Like, does debris come back if we, like, burn up in the atmosphere as we were raptured? I don't know. But I believe it to be so because the Bible says. And so you might say, well, that's just blind faith. No, no, no. Blind faith would be like, uh, I have no evidence for this whatsoever. I just came up with this crazy idea and I'm going to live my life by it. You and I have the word of God, the Bible that tells us it. My faith is not blind in something that I can't see. My blind is in the word of God, which has been preserved for thousands of years because it is the word of God. So it's not blind faith. But doubters would say, mm, I need something a little bit more substantive. Uh, doubters would say uh, that I need to see something tangible. And the third category, which I hope everybody gets to at some point. And again, if you're on your faith journey, this is where you want to wind up. And this is the category of disciple. You got deniers, you got doubters, and you got disciples. I believe that Jesus has died and rose again as payment for my sins. He is the only way to heaven, and now I want to live my life with him and for him until I see him in eternity. This is the bottom line of all this. This is why this church exists. This is why we have an Easter Sunday. This is why we have a Good Friday. This is why we have a Christmas because at some point you must make a decision for yourself to say, I not only believe the historical facts of the story, but I believe that Jesus did it for me and I receive that. I believe it and I receive it. If we take a look at our uh, passage this morning, verses 25, Jesus is walking down the road to Emmaus with a couple of his apostles and the Bible says that Jesus has made it so that they didn't recognize who he was. But verse number 25, Jesus said unto them, O fools and slow of heart to speak on all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and enter into his glory and beginning at Moses and all the prophets he expounded unto them all the scriptures and the things concerning himself. So Jesus goes back to the Old Testament and explains to them who he is, why he is, and what he's doing. 
And then uh, verse number 28, as they drew not nigh into the village, whether they went, he made as though he would have gone on further. They got to the village and Jesus was like, all right, guys, I'm going to call it a night. I'm going to head on from there. Verse 29, but they constrained him. They stopped him saying, abide with us for it's toward evening and the day is far spent. And he went to tarry with them. And as it came to pass, he sat at meat with them. And they took bread and blessed it and break and gave it to them. Like they were walking with Jesus and they didn't even know it was Jesus, but they loved the stories of Jesus, the idea of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus, and how God, through his amazing plan, made an eternal plan to redeem their souls and to purchase them by his own blood. And they're just like, whoa, this is incredible. And Jesus is like, all right, guys, I'm out. And they're like, no, 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 no. You got to come with us, man. Like, we're not done with this conversation. Let's go get some dinner. Stay with us. Spend the night like this is too good to pass up. And I want you to get to a place in your life where you see the value and the beauty of Jesus to be like, uh-uh, uh, this is not a Sunday thing for me. This is a seven-day-a-week thing. This is how I live my life now. My, my stake is in the ground. I'm a follower of Jesus now. I don't care who knows it. And my entire life will revolve around Jesus Christ because this is so good. That's the idea. That's a disciple. But to be a disciple, you have to be a real deal believer first. First, that's step one. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Do you believe that he died for your sins? Do you believe that he's the only way to heaven? Do you believe that he rose again the third day? And are you willing to receive him as Savior and seek his forgiveness for your sins? I was talking to a man this past week, and I said, hey, are you a believer? I, I knew that this man was not a, had not been born again. He hadn't been saved. But I asked him if he would identify as a believer. He's like, yeah, man, I believe. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? He goes, I do. Do you believe he's the only way to heaven? He goes, I do. Do you believe that you sinned against God? I do. Do you believe that Jesus died on the cross to pay for your sins? I do. Do you believe that he rose again the third day? Yes, I do. Are you willing to ask God for forgiveness and receive Jesus as your Savior? And he said, I'm not. Okay, do you believe all the right things? But at that last point of submission, you're like, uh-uh, I'm out. I'm not willing to do it. And so if you're here today and there's never been a time in your life where you've been saved or born again, you need to know for sure that that's the case because Jesus says in John chapter 3, verse number 3, no man shall see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. You must be saved. And being saved is not becoming a Baptist, it's not joining our church, it's not getting baptized, it's not about going through a religious process. It's about, I know that my sins are forgiven and heaven is my home. In Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, if you're willing to believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and God has raised him from the dead and confess that with your mouth, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and he's been risen from the grave and has payment for my sins and I'm asking for forgiveness of that, the Bible says you could be saved today like that. You don't have to walk forward. You don't have to talk with anybody. We don't have to open the, the Bible. You know enough now to put your faith in Jesus if you're willing. And if you are, you would be saved. And there's nobody that can ever take that salvation away from you. You can be born again. Those words mean the same thing. And you would be saved from your sin through the blood of Jesus Christ and have heaven as your home. Now, there's some people that are just like, hey, can I pray that prayer to go to heaven? Mm, yeah, it's not like that. There's no magical words that you say that you get, automatically get your ticket punched to heaven. It's a belief in your heart and a confession with your mouth and a commitment to follow Jesus. This isn't just like a, hey, let me pray that prayer and then I'm gonna go back to living my life the way that I want. No, 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 no. Jesus saved you from your sin. You don't ever have to go back to it again. 
And so I want to encourage you to become a disciple of Jesus Christ. Some of you might be here today, you, you put your faith in Christ, you've been saved, but you've, you've wandered away a little bit. You, you strayed off the path a little bit. Uh, you're that, that, that sheep that's wandered away from the fold. And let me tell you this, today Jesus is pursuing you. He's willing to leave the 99 to come and find you to bring you here. And let me tell you this, no one is here today by accident, by coincidence. I just happened to find a flyer in my car. Somebody happened to be at my workplace. An old coworker happened to reach out to me this week. Or somebody that I know from the gym happened to invite me. None of that is coincidence. God is pursuing you because he wants you for his own. Because he loves you. And so God is pursuing you. Come back to him. Maybe you're looking for a church home, a place you can get plugged in. If who we call is not the right place for you, please continue on your quest until you find a place, drop anchor, put your roots down, and never look back. You must, must, must follow Jesus. This is where the joy of life is found. And finally, there's a big difference between believing in a historical figure named Jesus and believing in Jesus alone for eternal life. Even atheists can agree that there was a historical man named Jesus who, you know, was Jewish, who lived in the area of Galilee, who was put to death. There's historical evidence of that. But if just some guy said some good things and he died, that's just another guy in history who said some good things and died. But if Jesus Christ was the son of God, he was put to death and he rose again and never died again, that's a big deal. That's a big deal and we should take notice of that. Are you willing today to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as Savior? I hope that you are. Again, for those of us that have been saved or born again, this is our opportunity where we really focus on our crucified Savior who is risen and is now coming again. And we get to live lives of gratitude Lives of worship. I can't believe that God would do that for me. I can't believe that God would love me so much to send his son to die on my behalf. I can't believe that victory is mine because that tomb that he was laid in is empty as empty could be today. For those of you that say, I'm not really sure if I'm on my way to heaven or not, make sure today. Well, I'm 75% sure that I, I think that prayer that I prayed in vacation Bible school at one time, I think that might still be good. I'm not really sure. I wouldn't want to get to heaven and say, hey, God, if you could check that book to see if my name's in it, I'm about 75% sure that I'm there. Oh, no, 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 no. You can know for sure today that heaven is your home. Put your faith and trust in Jesus today. And again, if you're looking for a church home, uh, again, we're not perfect. We never will be. We're made up of a bunch of sinners who just need Jesus more today than we did yesterday. But if you're willing to join with us, we're willing to love you and teach you the Bible and help you to grow and give you the tools and resources that you need to, to become family with the family of God. But today, that tomb, it's been empty for a long time. We don't really know exactly which one it is. In, in Israel, they have a, a tomb that they think it kind of falls in line with the descriptions that we find in Scripture of that. And it's a kind of legend that this is the tomb that Jesus was in. Hey, doesn't matter because he wasn't there long anyways. You dig any hole in the side of a cave and go, yeah, I think this is it. That's fine. doesn't matter. He's not there. There he is. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. He's coming back very soon. I hope you're ready for that. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, 
a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.